1: Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live alongside Jeff Fegels and Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're with you for the next 60 minutes and multiple ways you interact with us normally throughout the course of the program. But today we're actually doing a tape version of Big Blue Kickoff Live because we are preparing to have broadcast live from Indianapolis the rest of the week, but we're still going to delve into everything NFL related. There just won't be that interactive component on today's program a reminder though you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere and at giants.com/podcast. So we have a lot of different topics on the docket to unravel as we look ahead to the combine that will start this week and also before you know it it's going to be the start of the new league year in about 15 days as we now all of a sudden approach the March Madness version of the National Football League even though college basketball usually takes over over the course of this month. Gentlemen, how are we doing as we now start to turn the page officially to the NFL scouting combine?
2: Let's get those
0: motors revved up, Lance. (laughs)
2: It'll be exciting. It always is. You know, this time of the year when the combine comes around, you get to see some guys that rise up uh, the board and some guys that take a step back and it'll be interesting to see which guys uh actually step up and do the combine we know that in years past guys are not doing a lot of the things there physically but they're there to show up and do their medicals and interviews and stuff like that so to me it's very interesting guys that who are the ones that are going to actually uh do some of the drills and things like that um i think a lot of the guys that have been invited to that combine that are from some of the smaller uh schools certainly would be partaking in all of that that's for sure so
1: Well, it's interesting you brought that up, Jeff, because later on in the program, we'll get to some intriguing candidates that could very well help their cause based on whether or not, as you pointed out, they participate. Because at this point, we really don't have an official read on exactly who's going to do what. And as we know, most players don't take part in all of the skill set drills because they'd rather wait for the pro day. So we'll definitely tackle that. But something that we have not yet addressed on this program as we look forward to the activities in the NFL scouting combine is the competition committee guys is going to meet this week in conjunction with everybody being in Indianapolis and overtime was put very much under the microscope as you guys know after what we saw in the postseason we saw a few overtime affairs and the debate ensues whether or not it should stay as is which means if you get the ball first. If you win the coin toss, you march down, you score a touchdown. Let's leave that as is. Or should each team get at least one possession? And according to multiple reports, the competition committee is going to evaluate a few different rule proposals, but overtime is going to be a big focus. And the Indianapolis Colts, Paul, supposedly have put on the table a proposal in which each team will get one possession. This is according to Rich McKay, who is the chair of the competition committee, also a key member of the Falcons front office. Personally, I have no problem with the rule. I think defense special teams and offense get equal weight with the rule, which means if your defense can't perform, it could come back to bite you. But that's what football is all about. So my argument is if it ain't broken, don't fix it. And Paul, I don't think that it's broken at this point. So I don't really think that they need to mix things up.
0: Well, I agree with you from years ago Lance, but I do think it's broken right now because I I yeah, it's three three units, offense, defense, special teams, okay? And I agree with you 100% that that's the way it should be. But we've got a mutated situation in play now. Where, you know, during the course of of the regular season, they put in play that thing where if you score a touchdown on your first possession, then the game is over. But if you only score a field goal or if you don't score, then the other team gets a chance to match. Why are we putting in these contingencies In my opinion, the greatest game ever played, of course, when the Colts beat the Giants back in the 1958 championship game, we know what happened. The Colts got the ball. They went down the field. They scored the touchdown. They called it sudden death, and that's how the game was won. I would love to either go back to that rule because, again, in the National Football League, uh, you can get a turnover, and you can get a turnover on defense and score. All right? This isn't baseball where if if you're in the top half of the inning and you're the home team, you can't score, all right? It's literally impossible, but in football, special teams and defenses can score. So I say we either go back to the old rule of sudden death, or if you really want to, quote, make it fair then I think each team should be guaranteed at least one possession. None of this contingency where, well, touchdown you win, uh, field goal you don't. You know, they've been doing this now for over a decade. And, you know, I noticed that in the postseason, the coin toss winner has won 10 of 11 games using this nouveau rule, which to me just indicates how ridiculous it is and how this particular rule that's in play right now needs to go.
1: Well, Jeff, for the bulk of your career, you experienced sudden death. You didn't know any different because that's pretty much what was in place.
2: Yeah, what the, the what I don't like about when I played and it was sudden death and what it is now is I just don't like I just don't like the outcome of a coin flip. <laughs> you know, I think that that really to me it's like, you know, if you win the coin flip, you're taking the football and you go down and score and the other team just has no chance and it was all because of the coin flip. So I am kind of with both of you guys here. And it's going to sound like I'm on both sides of the fence, but I I I do I do like the fact that you know, if you play defense and you hold the team and then you go down and score, that's great. Or if you count, if you don't hold the team and they score, you lose. But I just don't like it being like the coin toss. I just, I don't know. I know that at the beginning of the game is a coin toss, but I I'm all, I'm kind of, I, I would, wouldn't mind seeing that each team does have a possession. And obviously if the first team scores, the other team has to match it. Obviously um, the one thing that I don't want to see happen is that if that happens and, you know, these games start to get a little bit long, you know, one, one guy scores a touchdown, the other one scores a touchdown. Now, now the other, now what is it? What's the next rules after that? The first to score, or do the other person get a chance to, to score if they get the ball back too? you know what I'm saying? So I, I, I would say this guys, I am um, I'm like Lance. I'm okay with the system right now. I, I think it's fine. You got to play defense, but I, the, what I don't like about it is the coin toss and So that's kind of where I'm at with it. Well,
1: based on the numbers that Paul read out, clearly it does favor the team that wins the coin toss. I don't think anybody's going to dispute that. But interestingly, guys, we had two examples in this past postseason because you had the Chiefs and the Bills where the Chiefs did get the ball first after, remember, Buffalo had a number of breakdowns to even put Kansas City in overtime. Let's not forget about that. I mean, Mm -hmm. they could have easily ended the game in regulation. Kansas City then, gets the score to end the game. But then the following week, you had the Bengals go up against the Chiefs guys. Kansas City won the coin toss. Since he actually did what you expect out of your defense, you got the stop. And then the Bengals were able to end the game with a field goal. So, I mean, I know that was the one situation in Paul's equation where a team that didn't win the coin toss actually got a defensive stop. I just, the reason why I have no problem with it is, and Jeff, you were highlighting this, is if... Over the course of the regular season, we have an entire conversation about the three facets all contribute. It's not one player on an island, right? But then we get to the postseason and we sort of we throw all of those components out the window. And now we say, well, wait a minute. Now everybody is sort of not equal. Offense has more of a say over defense. To me, it just doesn't add up, I guess, from that standpoint.
2: Sure. And I, I don't think that you, know, I don't think that there's, well, the competition committee are going to try to vote on this, but I think that everybody has their own little set of circumstances, why they don't, or they do like the system. It's not a perfect science. And I, I just don't, I, you know, I think that over time, how it has changed, this will be like, you know, they're going to continue to change this thing because, you know, we wouldn't be talking about this. If some of the games this year, the playoffs would have turned out the way they did because people were just complaining, you know, it's just like, Oh sure. my God. But uh, you know, so I think it's whatever, whatever they decide to do, don't be surprised if it doesn't change somewhere down the line again, because I feel like it's just something that happens in the course of these games that, that basically all of a sudden there's a comp, uh, a conversation about how we need to change it. So I think they will change it. Um, and I, I'm looking, you know, that's probably, it's, it's going to be the other team scores. The other team gets a chance, you know, and now your defense, that if you're the team that scored first, when under the old rules, you would have won the game, they're going to put a lot of pressure on your defense to say, hey, listen, guys, go win the game for us by stopping these guys, you know, so. Well, well
0: Jeff, I wonder the one comment that, that you had made earlier about, well, how long are the games going to go? How many times do you think in these instances Teams will continue to match score against score as the ball flops to the other side. Uh, I mean, I could see it happening once touchdown for
2: touchdown, maybe twice. Well, that wasn't going to be my
0: necessarily. Know it goes much further than that, though.
2: Yeah. I, listen, that, that is not something I'm going to decide on just because of thinking that the games would be so long. That's I think that the overtime rules, if if they go back and forth, yeah, I think it's not going to happen all the time, Paul. Exactly. It's just, I'm just saying that once in a while, you're going to get a back and forth, which by the way, the viewers won't mind it. You know, the, the, <laughs> the, league, yeah. the, the league, the league's the one that's going to, they don't want games, you know, obviously three hours is their threshold, but uh, you know, and of course it's not going to, I don't think that's going to sway. It was just something I was just pointing out. So because look at college games, look how long those games go when you, and, and certainly I'm sure there's always been somebody wanting to do the college system in the pros, which I would.
0: Oh, please, uh, please oh, let's please not do that. Yes. Jeff.
1: No. Well, my biggest issue guys with the college aspect and Jeff, I'm actually glad you brought that up because it's at least something that the competition committee could very well weigh. My issue is with that. And I don't know where you guys stand is, it does not resemble real football and regulation, meaning exchanging yeah. two-point yeah. conversions is not how you decide a football game over the course of regulation. And also, I don't like the idea of shortening the field Meaning regulation, right, Paul, we ask everybody yeah. to go 70 to 80 yards, put together a normal drive. Now all of a sudden we're operating within a twenty to twenty-five yard window. That would be the equivalent of, do you remember? I think it was a few years ago, they were contemplating in the Pro Bowl to have like a kicking competition to decide the game, and then they had the narrow goalposts. Yeah. Who would even entertain the idea of having, you know, two great kickers go against one another? to decide a football game where we're having quarterbacks and pass rushers and all those other things. So I'm anti-adopting anything, Paul, related to the college game.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you, Lance. And I know that part of the reason the NCAA did what they did was to actually make sure the games don't go hours after hours after hours because they figure these young players at, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, they don't want them extending themselves too far. So they don't want games going on forever. So they came up with that Kansas tiebreaker rule, which basically mutates the outcome of the game into red zone offense against red zone defense. And we all know how the game is so specialized. So basically what you're saying is we're going to give uh, a tremendous advantage to the team that either has the better red zone offense or the red zone defense. I don't think there's anything fair about that at all. And again, I know the ball is put at the 25, not the 20, but I think you get the gist of what I'm saying.
2: I do like the 10-minute like rule, though. You know, I think, that, I think they need to keep that. They don't need to change that,
1: you know? As opposed to having another equivalent full quarter at 15 minutes. But let me ask you this related to that, Jeff, because Mm -hmm. the other element in play based on the reports that we've seen that the competition committee is going to evaluate is, do you stress having the same overtime rules for regulation as well as the postseason? Or would you be okay with having a set of rules to determine overtime games in the regular season versus a new set of rules over the course of the postseason i'm for consistency now granted it's going too. to always be different jeff because you can have ties in the regular season you're never right. going to be able to have a tie obviously in overtime you have to have a winner but if they're going to change the rule add a rule whatever it may be i would like to see consistency between the regular season and the postseason
2: i'm with you i don't i don't want it to be changed because now now you got to think of a whole new set of circumstances as far as philosophies, right? I mean, in the regular season, you're playing, you got 10 minutes, it's a tie, it's a tie, which could be detrimental to your season when you're going for the playoffs because of that tie. But I, I just would like to see the, the same 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 way to go, come out of the regular season, go, and obviously the game has to continue to go on, even if it's after 10 minutes, because there's got to be a winner, but that, that's okay. That's, that's what the playoffs are all about. It's about elimination. Um, the regular season is not about elimination until you get to the end. Uh, the season when your record's 4 and you know
1: <laughs> 4 and
2: 15 or whatever the 4 and whatever equals 17 when your seven. record's not in a good place i guess is one way to put it yeah exactly
0: and, and i'll i'll second that uh, that vote so you have enough votes to carry the the motion there lance
1: there you go so if we were actually invited into the room for the competition committee we would have three individuals on the same page to hopefully tip the scales in favor yeah. of not yeah, rocking if that ever board. happens yeah. if
2: we ever get an invitation yeah
1: well, hopefully, Rich McKay will tune in to today's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, and he'll uh, he'll bring that to the forefront as they right, right. talk to one another. Yes, in Indianapolis, Lance Meadow, Jeff Eagles, Paul Detito, with you here as we kick off another week of the NFL offseason. A reminder: today's show is taped, so there's no interactive. Element in play, but we're certainly going to go around the NFL landscape, discuss a variety of topics. John Schmelk will be live in Indianapolis over the next few days with programming from Indy. So stay tuned for that on giants.com. The times very well may fluctuate depending on how the schedule plays out on the day to day basic schedule for the Giants as well as the National Football League. A reminder as we inch closer to the start of the 2022 season, Giants fans, you can secure your season tickets. For only $100, limited seats are available. Speak with a Giants ticket representative now. Become a season ticket member. Call 888-NYG-1925. So now that we are entering the offseason, this is the time of the year where a lot of media outlets start to look back at the 2021 campaign. They look ahead to the NFL draft. And there have been a few interesting articles that are circulating that involve the New York Giants. And we thought that we would tackle some of that. And the first one comes from CBS Sports Guys, and they ranked the NFL's six most interesting teams to follow this upcoming offseason. And the six teams, just to give the layout of the land to our listeners, you have the Pittsburgh Steelers are six, the Giants they have at five, Indianapolis at four, the Bucks come in at three, Eagles at two. And the Packers at one. So we really could tackle two teams here because two of the six that they have are actually in the NFC East. And one of them obviously impacts the New York Giants. But let's start with the Giants as to why they have them at five. And I want to read the quick blurb here. Quote, are the Giants posed for a quick turnaround? The team dealt with a high number of injuries last season and now have hired an offensive-minded head coach in Brian Dable, who had a hand in turning Josh Allen into one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. That bodes well for Daniel Jones, who's awaiting a decision on his fifth-year option. Also, New York holds two of the top seven picks in the upcoming NFL draft. Depending on who they add, the Giants could be a lot better in 2022. So, Paul, the premise, at least my interpretation is, they're looking at it as the intrigue of Dable marrying Daniel Jones here, as we saw with Josh Allen, so that combo, and then the capital that they have in the draft, that seems to be what intrigues them, meaning it's possible they could make a jump if clearly those two things in particular go according to plan. Well, that made a lot of
0: We talk about these subjects all the time on this program. I think the interesting thing is that they didn't mention Saquon Barkley anywhere in their rationale. And, you know, we all know if he does bounce back to be the kind of player that we all know he can be, well, that's going to make a significant difference in the Giants' fate uh during the 2022 campaign i think the interesting thing about this list of teams lance uh, the giants were the only team that really was not in postseason contention during this past season um you know obviously uh you know you look at at teams like tampa bay which they were real contenders uh, for a possible title and so was green bay uh, the other teams all you know teams that that did some had postseason either on their plate or actually made it? Uh, the Giants, the only one of these six though, that were really eliminated uh, as we came down home stretch during the December schedule, and uh, I think maybe part of the reason, not only for the ones that were given, I think when you see the Bengals win four games the previous year and then wind up doing what they did in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, it gives a lot of people a lot of um aspirations, shall we say, for teams that may need to go from worst to first and turn things around in a dramatic way in only one season,
1: Jeff. The other thing that's a common element to just piggyback mm-hmm. off of Paul's point with these six teams is there's question marks at quarterback for all six yeah. of them, you could Part argue, right? Because yeah, I know Aaron Rodgers is in Green Bay, but we're still waiting. For his decision. So that is a question mark. Jalen hurts showed some flashes. Tampa Bay now has to fill the void left behind by Brady. Indianapolis could move on from Carson Wentz. They don't have to, but they could. The Steelers clearly have to replace Ben Roethlisberger. And then the Giants have a question mark because of Daniel Jones's health. And now once again, learning a new system. So that to me is the common element that jumps out Mm -hmm. with all six of these teams.
2: Yeah, you stole my thunder. I was I was going right there. I was looking at these six teams and, you know, obviously talking about the Giants first and foremost, about the quarterback position. And, and, of course, you know, the last few weeks, we've talked about the quarterback position throughout the whole league, not only just the Giants, but we all agree that it's the most important position on the football team, right? So these six teams have – They have to address these. And I think that with the Giants, I think that's the elephant in the room right now for every discussion that the Giants are having. Obviously, the extension that has to be, or excuse me, the option that has to be picked up in May is the first kind of bone of contention for a lot of people is there. Are they going to do it? Aren't they going to do it? There's a lot of reports that they're not, but we don't know that. But the fact of the matter is, is, I think that we've talked about this also, is that how we have to throw a little bit of caution to the wind when we're talking about Daniel Jones and Josh Allen in the same sentence. And just because Brian Dable is the coach, I think a lot of people are hoping and meant maybe it might work out that Daniel Jones turns into some somewhat of a Josh Allen because of Brian Dable and that offense. But I feel like, you know, first things first is that in order for this team to turn things around, um, obviously they made the list that we're talking about is they've got a lot of other things to work on prior to getting Daniel Jones to play anything like Josh Allen. That's in my opinion.
1: Well, and Paul, the other thing with, the Josh Allen comparison. And I brought this up on this show multiple times, how much in Brian Dable's mind, as he now constructs this offense around his new quarterback, does he say, I want to expose Daniel to run as much as Josh Allen did? Because you can't dismiss and overlook the fact that this is what Jeff, I think was alluding to as well. They're completely different in terms of their physique and most importantly, their durability. And If I'm Brian Dable, I'm not saying that I want to take away Daniel Jones's mobility. I mean, that to me is a strong asset, but I think you need to ask yourself, how much do you want to expose him to hits if unlike Josh Allen, he has yet to prove that he can get through one single season without missing a game?
0: Well, I think there are actually two things at play here, Lance. You're right. You you need to consider how often do you want Jones running forward as part of the rushing attack for this offense. But I think the second thing you also want to consider is how much do you want to move the pocket and have him throw while on the move, which is something that Josh Allen does and does extremely well because he's got a cannon for an arm. Now, Daniel Jones, as it turns out, much to the chagrin of his critics coming out of Duke, has a much better arm than people gave him credit for. And I wonder, you know, Daniel Jones, when when he takes off, he's usually taking off to run. He's usually not starting to move back there because right. he's going to buy time or and he's going to throw on the run. He either takes off to run, or if he does move, He's looking to reset his feet to throw. He's not one of these throw on the run guys. And we all know that, you know, there are those who have that particular style and they add that to their repertoire. Or maybe that's just a part of what they naturally do because they're gifted enough to do it. I do think that that's a kind of a second interesting question here. Do we see more of Jones actually trying to throw some on the run? Now, we all know that can be very dangerous. You know, your completion percentage can take a bad hit. Your turnovers can go up. It could be a risky business, so to speak. But there's no doubt that Josh Allen's effective at doing it. And I have to wonder how much of that whole moving pocket thing and, and throwing while maybe taking a couple of steps left and right is something that Dayball is considering.
2: Well, I think it I, I think it's absolutely something he's considering because you know, one thing and you mentioned about the turnovers, right? How many times, guys, have we seen a quarterback who gets out of the pocket, who's not committed to running for a first down or just getting positive yards, where he's running and he's running. And his receivers are not on really the same page. They don't know whether he's going to be throwing or running. And all of a sudden he throws the ball and you get a tipped interception. I see that happen all the time. And so that's what we don't want to have Daniel Jones do, because certainly he has tried to correct a lot of his deficiencies when turning the football over in the past. Um, And that's one thing that he's gotten a little bit better at. So I think it's to me, if I'm Daniel Jones and I'm Brian Dable, we're going to have a conversation that you're going to need to be committed to what you're going to do. So then maybe we let the people around you understand that, this is part of our philosophy and understand that when Daniel Jones does get out of the pocket, you have to be ready for the football, you know? So I think it all goes hand in hand, like you said, and I think that they will have plenty of time now in this offseason to work on this type of offense. And of course, Mike Kafka will have a lot of say in this too. And I think that, um, you know, once they get to get to the point where they're all on the same page and this offense will run through Daniel Jones, as we know.
1: Well, Jeff, I'm glad you brought up the Kafka element because What you're saying is, at least my interpretation, there should be an emphasis on if you don't want to put Daniel Jones in some of those precarious spots where maybe he's a little bit uncomfortable trying to throw off the run is maximize the talent you then have around Daniel Jones, get rid of the ball quickly and let them do the heavy lifting. And that's why I'm focusing on Mike Kafka, because it's going to be interesting to see what Kafka brings to the table as he now works with Dable for the first time. You look at Kansas City. And I'm not saying that the Giants have a Tyreek Hill and a Travis Kelsey in terms of the consistency, but the emphasis in the Kansas City offense was Mahomes doesn't have to throw a home run 40 to 50 yards. I think they really did a good job evolving as a team Mm -hmm. this year. We even saw it when the Chiefs played the Giants in a relatively close game. Hey, dump it off for five yards to Tyreek Hill dump it off to five yards to Kadarius Toney, and then get your blocking up the field and let those guys do a lot of the heavy lifting. It doesn't necessarily have to be on the shoulders of Daniel Jones being the miracle worker. And I think at times when that's happened in the past, that's when sometimes he tries to do too much. So maybe a big part in this philosophy is it's not just what can the quarterback do to shine, but how much can we get the personnel around the quarterback to alleviate what we may need from the signal caller.
2: I, I agree. And I, I think that, you know, you look at Mike Kafka, what he's was around over there in Kansas city. He saw a lot of scrambling and guys making plays. <laughs> I, I, mean, but I don't know. I know. I think that he's going to, uh, he's going to say to himself, man, I miss that Patrick Mahomes guy. He's pretty, he's like a magician, but I think we're not going to compare Daniel Jones to, to him. But I do, I do believe that one of the key pieces that Mike Kafka is looking at is Kadarius Tony. Now, I don't want to compare him to Tyreek Hill, but when you when you look at both of them, they're very similar in as far as their their style of the way that they play football, right? I mean, they're very dynamic, they're quick, their lateral speed is is awesome, um, and they have the big playmaker ability. So, I think that offense will be, and we've talked about this many times on our on our pregame shows, guys, about you know getting the ball into these playmakers' hands and just letting them go. Talking about their opposing teams mostly. That these guys listen, they don't they don't have to make big plays because they or they like to make big plays, they just get the ball in the right people's hands. I think this offense, when you can maybe the Giants will find themselves a nice tight end somewhere down the line here. Um, but I think you do have some pieces with this offense that if Daniel Jones, if he can just manage the game by getting the, the ball into those guys' hands, there'll be some big plays and and you know, good way to win some football games. Daniel Jones doesn't have to do it all, like you said, Lance.
1: Well, I think that to me is the ideal game plan if you're Brian Dable, especially since, you know, you have to understand you don't have Josh Allen. You haven't had the same amount of chemistry that you developed with Josh Allen that you were able to build upon over the last few years. And that's why this is such a critical year for, it goes without saying for Daniel Jones, but it's also a critical year as we've been talking on this program for the development of the last few draft classes so that you have those guys on the field more often than not for Daniel Jones. Now, before we actually get into, This past year's draft class because nfl.com actually ranked all 32 classes since the eagles are in the giants division i just want to briefly go over what cbs sports highlighted why they also think philadelphia is a team to watch this offseason and philadelphia of course made the playoffs and made that quick jump that paul was talking about because they went from 4 11 and 1 to 9 and 8 and they also had a new head coach but the selling point for the eagles is their draft capital, very similar to the Giants. The Eagles are going to have, guys, three first-round picks Mm -hmm. as a result of that Carson Wentz trade. So they have the ability, and they're all in the top 20, to do a lot of heavy lifting to bring in three guys at three different positions. So that's one of their selling points for the Philadelphia Eagles. And then the other selling point is clearly the strong results under the circumstances in year one with Nick Sirianni in terms of them winning six of their final eight games. And while the jury is still out for Jalen Hurts, certainly he showed some flashes and he's got that dual threat ability where Sirianni can have him as part of the rushing attack, as well as what you want to see most important if you're Philadelphia developing as a more consistent passer. But the common theme here between the Eagles and the Giants, Paul is the fact that each of them have multiple first round picks. That's number one. And then number two, Both teams have question marks with their quarterbacks because the Eagles are wondering what they're going to get out of Hurts just as much as the Giants now moving forward here with a new coach in conjunction with Daniel Jones.
0: Well, I mean, I, I think both organizations, the Giants and the Eagles, have seen a sampling size. And, of course, with the Eagles, it's a little bit less than what the Giants have had with Daniel Jones uh, to have some kind of indication as to what the ceiling might be for their respective quarterbacks. Obviously, the Eagles coaching staff uh, knows better because they've already worked with this quarterback for a year. Dayball and Kafka have not worked with Daniel Jones, so their evaluation is coming off of tape and from afar. Uh, does that give the Eagles staff a little bit better of a handle on whether or not they need to go out and get one. I suppose it does. Uh, But at the same time, uh, look at the injury history for Daniel Jones, which you brought up at the beginning of this segment of the program. I mean, can anybody really be sure that Daniel Jones is going to be durable enough to do what it is that he needs to do to be the long-term answer at quarterback? I'm sure everybody hopes that in the building for sure. But do we really know until he does it?
1: No, it's impossible to predict. Just like I don't think the Giants necessarily went into this season thinking that obviously he was going to suffer a neck injury, which would cost him the bulk of the back end of the year. I mean, you just, you can't predict these things. So that's more of a reason why I would agree with you. I think there's a little bit more of a question mark, but the reason why, Jeff, I brought up the Jalen Hurts aspect, and I thought, once again, he seemed really comfortable as the year went along in Nick Sirianni's system, but I think there were some games where the Eagles They really needed him to do a little bit more from a passing standpoint and Mm -hmm. the consistency wasn't there. So even though to Paul's point, yeah, Nick Sirianni and that offensive staff, you've already worked with Jalen Hurts. The Giants don't have that same luxury. You're still dealing with a young quarterback that is far from being a finished product. So the question is, hey, what we built with him in year one together, is it picking up where we left off? Or are we going to have to now navigate some new challenges, given the fact that we're going up against new opponents and also we're going to have some new personnel around him?
2: Well, I think it's a great point because, you know, anytime that you can have somebody in a system in real, real time, like he played a whole season last year in your new system. I think then as you move through the season, you're making an analysis, you're making some corrections and, and kind of learning how this player can work then moving into the off season through the draft and free agency, you can start to build around. Obviously the, the Philadelphia Eagles are committed to Jalen hurts. Okay. We haven't heard much about them coming up and getting a quarterback, or maybe they're just kind of laying in the weeds. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, a lot of people in, in, in this article right here, it has them taking Alabama wide receiver, Jameson, Jameson Williams. Okay. Who's obviously it was, it was hurt. Right. I mean, but I think that there's something to show you that they're they're wanting to build some receivers around him. But my guy, to me, guys, I do not feel like Jalen Hurts can get much better as a passer. I just don't feel it. I just, I don't see it. I don't think that he's going to be a dynamic passer. So you can put as many wide receivers and good ones around him as you can. But I just think that that's an element that when this team gets down and has to go to the pass, I don't know how much I would put you know, faith in Jalen Hurts to get you through there. So to me, um, you know, can this team go forward? I think it all is going to depend on Jalen Hurts and how that offense runs with him not being able to throw the football that much. They do have a dynamic running game, as we know. I mean, Absolutely. they really do. Their Their running game is phenomenal. So and that that includes him from that from the quarterback position, because he is a runner um pretty durable too you know he's a he's a he's a tough guy and um but you know back to the Daniel Jones things I I feel like you know that's just always going to be a question for Daniel Jones whether he's here or somewhere else is that how many games can we count on from the quarterback to play when we know he has a history of getting hurt and that's going to affect him as far as getting a deal whether it's with the Giants or somewhere else you
0: know one thing to remember about Jones too Jeff um we were both around when Phil Simms was a young quarterback and he used to run a hell of a lot more than he did later in his career. He was a scrambler, so to speak. Uh, And he got hurt a lot in his first handful of years in the national football league. But as Parcells always said, Simms wasn't a quarterback. He was a football player because he was probably one of the most physically strong, thick and sturdy quarterbacks uh certainly of his time if not even of of recent vintage and phil worked like five times harder than anybody would on his body to become stronger and more durable and and just to be much more much more guff so to speak and it paid off for him because from a guy who seemed to be getting hurt almost at every twist and turn when you know, he finally built himself up and then he got a chance to go back into the starting lineup, uh, you know, he lasted for several, several years until that rotator cuff wound up uh, ending his career. But it's not, it's not unthinkable to believe that Daniel Jones could turn this injury history around. And for the Giants, I certainly hope that's the case.
1: And that will be dependent, of course, on how they utilize him as well as the pieces around him. Just one thing that I wanted to bring up before we move on. And I think Jeff was scratching the surface of this is when you have a very productive year out of a quarterback, especially if it's year one in a system or whatever it may be. There's just no guarantees in the NFL that it carries over to the following season. And Daniel Jones is a prime example of that because he had a very good rookie year. He had a really good touchdown to interception ratio with Pat Shermer. And granted, I understand the coaching staff changed, but people thought, hey, even with the change in the coaching staff, you had a good foundation, a good framework. And they didn't see the same production. And part of that is because the quarterback is dependent on what's around him as well as the decision making and the development of that individual player. So that is certainly something to watch with respect to the conversation for Daniel Jones and the Giants. Now, one of the things that we've been talking about is draft personnel and how that is going to be crucial for the Giants as well as the Eagles since they have a number of first-round picks. So what NFL.com did was they looked back at the 2021 draft, and on this program, remember, we always emphasize – this ideal exercise should be done three to four years removed from the draft when you actually have a lot more to go by. But it's always interesting to see perhaps how other people view the rest of the league. So NFL.com, they reflected on all 32 teams' draft classes just after the first year. The Giants they have on this ranking as number 20 overall. And I just want to run through some of the rationale as to why they put them in this spot. And we know there were some injuries and everyone didn't necessarily play. So in comparison to other teams, the Giants obviously are not necessarily in that good of a position to say, hey, we know exactly what we could get out of this player. So they said, quote, the Giants entire 2021 season can be summarized by Tony's rookie season. First rounder struggled to stay on the field due to multiple injuries. But when he was available, he occasionally exploded as in the 10 catch 189 yard performance in week five. That was, of course, against the Dallas Cowboys, and then we also saw some flashes against some other teams here or there. He just wasn't available enough to make a significant difference for a struggling offense that saw its coordinator fired during the season, referring to, of course, Jason Garrett. Tony could still make this pick look like a home run, but there's a lot of boom or bust potential. Then they add the Giants nailed the selection of O'Jalari, who led the team in sacks with eight, figures to be a key part of this defense for years to come. Aaron Robinson played nearly a quarter of New York's defensive snaps, might fill a bigger role in 2022 with James Bradbury potentially heading elsewhere due to cap constraints. Keep in mind that speculation on the part of NFL.com. Smith's season, referring to Ellerson Smith, was shorted by injury, but he did force a fumble in his limited action. Brightwell spent most of the season on special teams getting just two touches in 13 games, and then Rodarius Williams' season ended due to a torn ACL suffered in week five. Johnson played a rotational role as an undrafted signee and will have to fight to stick with the Giants in 2022. That's of course, Raymond Johnson, the third. I don't know how much we want to emphasize guys undrafted rookies. To me, this is an exercise more. I know they included that, but it's more about the guys you actually drafted. And I don't really think there's anything crazy that they brought up in terms of that passage, Jeff. I want to start with you because once again, Tony Radarius Williams, Ellerson Smith, even Aaron Robinson who was on PUP for the majority of the year. I mean, we really didn't see much out of all of them as a whole. So Ojolari, in fairness, is really the lone mm-hmm. guy that you could say, okay, I have enough of a sample size to say, hey, this is what perhaps he could build upon moving forward.
2: hundred percent. And I think that, you know, we all kind of, we, we we had a feeling about Aziz Ojolari that he was going to be a player. We didn't know. I don't think, well, I actually had picked him to lead the team in sacks um, when our preseason started. But that was just because I just didn't have faith in the other guys. <laughs> so <laughs> I picked him, but I feel like you know he's a guy that oh wow. If you you talk about a lot of potential and he's shown it. One thing I like about Aziz is he played 17 games, 13 starts. So you know, but to me, all these other guys, where am I seeing some in 2022? How these guys are going to be able to help the team? Well, I mean, your ter- your first four picks. Ellerson Smith, Aaron Robinson, and Kadarius tony obviously Aziz in there too. Those guys are all going to be really good pieces to your, to your defense um, other than the, uh, Kadarius Tony, And now we already talked about Kadarius Tony. So if he can stay healthy and get on, get on the field, um, how he's going to be using this offense I think is going to be dynamic. i got to believe that Brian Dable and Mike Kafka have got to be pretty excited about the potential for this guy because we did see it in that Dallas Cowboys game. I mean, he talked about a breakout game, 10 receptions for per 189 yards. That's, that's incredible. So I think that that's exciting. And I think that when you look at the lower rounds, you know, they didn't have a fifth rounder. So they had a six and then you get your two guys, Gary Brightwell, who played 13 games, but he was a guy that obviously they drafted him for special teams. Anyway, remember how good he was in college. Um, and then Rodarius Williams, I think a lot of us got excited about him too, being a six rounder. Um, unfortunately he got hurt. And so along with a lot of the other guys on this team that got hurt last year. So I think overall, um, I agree with you, Lance. The Raymond Johnson, the undrafted free agent, I don't want to put in this category because we're talking about draft pick, but I, I thought that the draft pick for the Giants last year, the way that they added to this season, even though it wasn't great, all along was pretty good. Ellison Smith is a guy that really kind of intrigues me a little bit because I feel like with this new defensive staff was Wink Martindale, Ellison Smith is going to be used – in a system where I think that he 'll get a lot of potential and be have a, have, make some difference in in that defense yeah i
0: yeah, I agree ahead, with with some of what both of you have said, and then also disagree a bit i i think let's let 's talk about Ellison Smith for a second. I do think he is a very very intriguing player jeff i 'm with you one hundred percent. Now, I've always been of the opinion that I'd like to see him add some power and muscle and some bulk to his frame because I'd like to see him more as a defensive end than I would as a, right. as a linebacker. But it remains to be seen how this defensive staff views him. Wink Martindale is, you know, remember when he had Judon with, with the Ravens? Uh, this was the guy who was a hybrid. And and he could play some stand up and he could play some right there on the defensive end spot and, and even do some coverage stuff. So it's it remains to be seen exactly where he wants Smith to fit, but this is the kind of thing where you got to work on that during the whole offseason. Martindale needs to get with him and say, listen, this is what we want you to be physically so that we can use you in a specific kind of role. So I do think he's extremely intriguing. Um, So I agree with that. Uh, I, I will say this. I have a disagreement with the concept because, you know, the, the story is about rookie grades. I think if you're giving a rookie class grades, Lance, I got to disagree with you. I don't think you can only go with the draft picks. For example, and I'm shocked that, that Jeff didn't bring this up Quincy Rocher out of the University of Miami was an undrafted rookie free agent for the Giants because he was picked up, as we know, after he was cut by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, but he was They drafted got him by before the week one. Fairness, Paul. Yeah, he was drafted by the Steelers, but picked up by the Giants before week one. So he had zero NFL experience at the time he was picked up. He's still a rookie and qualifies as such. I count him as part of the rookie class hall. He's not part of the draft class hall, but he is part of the rookie class hall. I know we're playing with semantics, but just like some years ago when the Giants picked up Caden Smith, he was part of that rookie class. And obviously Quincy Roche, who started, I think, something like 11 straight games in a row, didn't start, but was a significant part of the linebacker rotation. And I'll be honest, I like the kid. I don't know that he'll ever be more than a rotational linebacker, but I do believe that he certainly has value as a guy who belongs on somebody's 53. And I hope that the Giants can groom him and develop him, and he becomes something more than just a small rotational guy. I hope he's a bigger part of their rotation. And consider this, you know, when you pick up a guy before opening day you're committing to putting him on your 53, which means you did enough of your homework and scouting on him when he was in college that he was certainly part of your draft preparation. So when you pick him up, I do believe in that situation. Again, he's part of the rookie class, so I would take a bit of exception to the, to the semantics used for the, for the, uh, the poll by, by CBS.
1: Well, yeah, this one was uh, NFL.com in terms of their rankings of the draft class. Yeah. And Roche, he had two and a half sacks in 14 games with the Giants. It certainly showed some flashes. He also had five quarterback hits, a number of tackles for loss. So there's no doubt about it. He made an impact. I'm not going to dispute that. It's just, once again, he was a legitimately drafted player because the Steelers did take him. And then the Giants, to your point, did some homework and benefited from a waiver claim. But I don't really think... And I guess this is where we started. I don't think, Paul, it moves the needle in terms of helping no, the Giants I agree with, you. with respect to this ranking because the bottom line is the overall class, whether you want to include some of those guys that you were talking about, there wasn't much game action overall with this class to truly walk away and say, well, the Giants justified being given more credit when we don't even know. What to make out of Tony at this point, because he was so.
0: No, no, I'm with you, Lance. I don't think it would move them, but a couple of spots, but, but I do think a guy who had enough of a contribution with the number of snaps that he had over the number of games that he had. uh, I mean, I, I, I think it's pretty cool that they were able to get some quality production out of a player who was, you know, he was on the street. He's a rookie on the street with no experience, and he certainly showed a lot more time than maybe a lot of other sixth-round draft choices in this league did.
1: You know what's interesting, as I'm perusing through this list, Jeff, just to expand on what Paul is talking about, about including undrafted guys, the majority of the teams, as NFL.com went through each team one by one, they barely list undrafted guys for everybody. Now part of that is probably there wasn't a notable guy. You're right you're only going to list somebody if they were extremely notable. So that's another reason why I wanted to focus on the guys that were actually drafted because if you have an opportunity and you peruse through this list, most of the teams they're focusing on the entire drafted players with the exception of I would say the Lions is the one team because they actually have six guys that were undrafted that made the roster. And that's what happens when you bring in a new coaching staff and a new GM, but everybody else, the focus was on the draft class. And the majority of players that are going to make an impact, at least from the Giants standpoint, as we look ahead to the 2022 class, as well as the members of the 2021 class, you're expecting Jeff, the guys to make a true impact are going to be the ones that you take in the first three to four rounds of the draft here.
2: And I also think that when you're not a good football team and you're trying to build your roster, you're bringing in so many different people. And all of a sudden, some of them just start playing well and they stick and then they end up on this list. I think Quincy Roche is one of those guys. I mean, I think the Giants were pretty lucky to get him. And I think they were pretty surprised that he was released. And like Paul said, they did their due diligence on him. They did their draft analysis of him and they realized that, hey, this is a this is a guy that really will take him as a free agent. We, we probably would have drafted him if we had the chance to. So, um, but I think that, you know, if you're a good football team and you've been able to build your team through the draft and you continue to do it, then you won't have those notable undrifted free agent lists under your rankings. And I think that's kind of when you look at some of these. If I go to the very top of this list, who the number one team was, by the way. This year was uh, who was the number one team? i got to get all the way up. Kansas City. Number one
1: team was Kansas City. Yeah, the Chiefs. So number
2: one Kansas City. Okay, so they don't have a notable, uh, unre- you know, free agent. Um, the third team, they although okay, so the the Dolphins have Robert Jones, who was an offensive guard. So there's one notable guy. I'm um, just wow. But and then you look at the the Detroit Lions, like you said, they've got a bunch of them. Well, they weren't a very good football team. Um, so they were constantly trying to adjust their roster to trying to find players. So I think it all matters about the team. Um, but, you know, you look in the top, where am I at number eight? The Cleveland Browns, I think. And then there's the nine, is the Eagles have one. And then the 10th team, the, the, let's see who it is. Houston, Texas have one. So really in the top 10, there's three teams that have notable free agents in them. And, and the Lions are one of them, which had a slew of them, tons of them. So I just think it depends on your team, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's going to vary. Sense.
1: Yeah, yeah there, no doubt about it. And just so the listeners understand, as you were going through some of the rankings, Jeff, as respect to the rest of the NFC East plays out, you have the Cowboys were seventh, the Eagles were ninth, Washington, 22. And the Giants, as we mentioned, came in 20. So that's how they looked at the division overall. And you can take a look at it on NFL.com. And once again, this is only based on one year. I think the conversation that guys were going to have two to three years from now will probably be very different, not just for the Giants, but for the rest of the NFL landscape, because you really need to see more out of the Giants. And you can say that about a number of teams, especially if they dealt with injuries. Lance Meadow, Jeff Eagles, Paul Detino, with you here. Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. There's a taped edition of the program, so we don't have that interactive element in play. And the remainder of the shows this week are going to be live from Indianapolis with John Schmelk. But we're taking today to really go around the NFL landscape, look back, evaluate the 2021 season. Now, actually, as we're recording this, some NFL news broke in terms of the upcoming schedule. They have announced, guys, the teams that are going to be taking part, at least some of them, in the international games. So what we Germany. know right now, as it stands, and Paul, I'll let you then expand on this. We've got Arizona is going to take part in the game in Mexico. The Saints, the Packers, and the Jaguars will be in London. And then the Bucks are going to be in the first game in Germany because they're actually, they're adding new locations as they expand international play. Now, we don't know all of the matchups, but as it stands right now, those are the five teams that the NFL announced on this Monday morning that are going to be taking part in games overseas.
0: Yeah. And I think it's interesting because uh, when you look at this from the Giants perspective, the green Bay Packers and the Jacksonville Jaguars are on the Giants' schedule for the 2022 season. So that would be two of the five international games that have been announced so far where the giants could possibly be in play. Now we know they played the dolphins back in, in 2007, uh, in London, which was the first game of this international series as the NFL likes to call it. And then when the giants, uh, went back to London, this time they played the Rams in 2016. That was, uh, uh, another terrific season too. In fact, isn't that funny that both times the giants went over to play overseas, they wound up going to the postseason, once to the super bowl and winning it. And the other time they went to the playoffs and of course got eliminated, uh, in green bay so i don't know if there's any karma there i don't know if people are going to want them to wind up with an overseas game but the the jaguars and the packers would be two games right now that at least would hold possibilities uh for the giants to go and by the way both of those games would be road games for the giants so you wouldn't have to worry about uh losing a seat in east rutherford for either one of those contests
1: well and that's more of a reason why that's important to note because. If the Giants were sent to London, it would in all likelihood be like what we've seen in the past as a road team, as opposed to them, to your point, sacrificing a home game. So we'll see how the schedule plays out with respect to these international games. But those five teams have been confirmed. They're going to take part in that. And obviously the schedule will be formally released a few months from now. But it's just another element that is in play as we gear up for the 2022 season. Now, speaking of the schedule, where I want to finish off, guys, is with the combine. Because this week, you're going to have all 32 teams monitoring prospects. And Bleacher Report put together. And Jeff, John, and I, on last week's program, we're talking about some of the guys to look out for from an athleticism standpoint. Now, this list is not necessarily the athletic guys, but who have the most to gain? the most at stake in terms of also, as Jeff pointed out earlier, the million dollar question is, do they actually take part in some of these drills? And we don't know that for a fact, but the list that they put together, you have two quarterbacks, Malik Willis out of Liberty, Matt Corral out of Ole Miss. Then they have Jahan Dotson, the wide receiver out of Penn State, Bernhard Ryman out of Central Michigan, the offensive lineman who is a big presence at 6'6", 304 Cameron Thomas, the edge rusher out of San Diego state who did not take part in the senior bowl because of injury. Jermaine Johnson, the second, the edge rusher out of Florida state. And then the last guy on the list is Derek Stingley jr. The cornerback out of LSU who dealt with injuries over the last few seasons and had foot surgery, which cost him pretty much all of 2021. So it's no surprise Jeff, that a lot of guys on this list are either players that are coming off of injuries so you want to know whether or not they're at full health. And also with respect to the quarterback class, no surprise that we got two guys because this class is not nearly as surrounded by the hype as we've seen in previous years. And Malik Willis certainly has the mobility factor and Matt Corral, who I think is a very intriguing quarterback who when it's all said and done, they wow more people than the rest of the class, but there's some questions mm-hmm. about his slenderness because he's six 205. So, I don't think one throwing session Jeff is going to make or break these guys, but sometimes you could all of a sudden help your stock, depending on what you do
2: actually at the combine. 100%. I think someone like Malik Willis, I mean, he, he, if I'm his agent, I'm telling him to do everything that anybody wants him to do. I mean, he played at Liberty. So that's going to be a little bit of a question. Like who, what kind of competition were you playing against in college? So, um, you know, can we check all the boxes as far as physical skills and athletic ability? Yeah. But, you know, we want to see some of the things, how you compete with some of these other people. Um, and he kind of did that at the senior bowl, you know? So I think that this is why his name is on here because I think that he did show some people at that senior bowl where he could could definitely compete with this class. Now you look at Matt Corral, who comes from the SEC at Ole Miss, you know, obviously played in some big games against some really good competition. So I don't know if Matt Corral has as much to prove as uh, Malik Willis would, but I think that he still should because they have questions about how, you know, his arm strength and things like that. But I think some of these other guys with these injuries, and I've mentioned this before, Lance and Paul, is that, you know, if I'm their agent or I'm even the player themselves – I'm a little bit hesitant about doing things that may cost me millions of dollars if I don't compete or actually compare to some of these other guys because I'm coming off of somewhat of an injury. I guess it just depends on maybe when my pro day is. If my pro day can be maybe a month from now, I may opt out against doing all of the drills and just go for the interviews and the medicals because you, this is big money, guys. You know this. Where, where where you're drafted and where you're slotted could be, you know, amount of millions of dollars for some of these guys. You know, I, I mean, you look at someone like Stingley, okay. A guy who's really, he's been hurt. Um, and if he just shows up there, like this article is saying here, if he's, if he's out of shape, you know, and he looks a step behind all the other cornerbacks in his class, he, he could lose millions of dollars. So I'm, I'm one in, in the, in the area of like, I'm not going to do some of those things until I'm ready to prove that I can because, this is all about money at this point.
1: Well, and I think to me, one of the biggest components of all of these players that we're talking about, Jeff, if they can't physically take part in some of these drills, or they're worried that as you mentioned, they're not 100% healthy. I just think being there, having the chance to interact with teams, coming off as an engaged individual can at least sell yourself to the team, even if there's some question marks, right. And some baggage, nobody's saying that a guy like Stingley, for example, who you brought up, yeah, there's some question marks about is the speed, the quickness back after going through foot surgery. So even if you don't want to take part of the drills, maybe you're waiting Jeff for pro day because you're just, you feel more comfortable at LSU, your old backyard, a more favorable setting, at least be there. Take part in the interviews, answer any of the questions that they may have, so that this way there's not this cloud hovering over you as you even get into pro day.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Paul, you've been to the combine before. You've seen how these guys, um, some of them interact and some of them don't, and how important it is. It, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, part of this whole process, guys, is all about the individual themselves outside of the football field, too. Their character, how they conduct themselves, how they look, how they speak, um, you know, how they how they just kind of interact with the other players. You are on a constant observation when you're at that at that combine. Right, Paul?
0: Yeah, it's it's really uh, the ultimate right microscope from the time the guys get into town there are already teams that are kind of in the shadows surveying them watching them trying to talk to them if they can get unofficial opportunities to speak with these guys uh, and then obviously uh, you know from the time they're doing all the drills and then they're they're in the interview sessions which are official and sanctioned each one of those interview sessions only goes 15 minutes a pop and the league is all over that like like a hound so you're not going to be able to to lurk in the shadows there but then again Uh, if so-and-so is going to be meeting so-and-so at a steakhouse for dinner after the whole thing's over and you have an opportunity to bump into him and kind of get a better feel for him as a person uh, there there are people who will be very glad to do that around the league because it's all about getting whatever intel you possibly can, understanding that the stakes are high. When you make a mistake on a draft pick it's one thing, but if you make a mistake on a draft pick because there's something that you did not know or did not uncover, that's another story entirely.
1: Well, and that'll come back to bite you, especially if you use high draft capital, Paul, on that player. So that's more of a reason why you don't want any surprises. By the time you get to the draft, you want to make sure that you pretty much have turned over every single stone. That's more of a reason why, as I was talking with Jeff earlier, Paul, I had said, even if you don't take part in a great deal of the activities at the combine, just being there, and at least interacting with some personnel can still go a long way in from the player standpoint, helping a stock and from the team perspective, maybe getting some questions answered and also some of your fears being eliminated because you've seen the player up close and personal in a different setting. So all of that obviously has to be taken into consideration. All right, that is going to wrap up Monday's edition. Of Big Blue Kickoff Live. As we mentioned, the remainder of the week, we'll have live shows from Indianapolis. So stay tuned for Giants.com for all the latest. And also a reminder that today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. All right, gentlemen, get ready for the 40-yard dash, the three-cone drill, mm-hmm. the 10-yard splits, the bench press as we gear up for what should be an extremely busy week at the scouting combine always a pleasure going back and forth appreciate it guys we will speak to you next week
0: you Sounds got good. it thank
1: you all right for paul detito and jeff eagles i'm lance meadow enjoy the rest of the week here on giants.com stay locked to the website for all the latest and we will speak to you next week here on big blue kickoff Live. have a good one